your Bibles to the book of Malachi. Uh, it's the last book of the Old Testament, so it's going to be right before Matthew. And we're beginning a new study uh, that's going to basically carry us uh, through, uh, through Advent. And we're going to bridge the end of the Old Testament and, uh, and really the, the first couple of chapters of the New Testament and the appearance of John the Baptist because that's what Malachi, uh, that's where the Old Testament leaves off, is this promise of one who's going to prepare the way uh, for God's anointed, who's going to come. And, uh, and that's, of course, what we celebrate uh, at Christmas is the Advent. So um, why Malachi? <laughs> why are we doing this? Uh, when's the last time you, you know, opened to the book of Malachi for your devotions and said, oh, I love Malachi, it's so refreshing, and, you know, I love those minor prophets, they're great, you know. Um, Hey, listen, true confession, I, I have not in my Christian life paid a whole lot of attention to Malachi before. I mean, I've read it before, and, um, and, and if you're on a, uh, a Bible reading program or if you make that a regular part of your devotion, that's great. In fact, by the way, let me do a little caveat here. On the outline today, this is something new that we're going to start providing each week is a devotional guide on the back of your sermon outline, and it's going to include... Uh, a Bible reading schedule and prayer points. Uh, the Bible reading schedule that we're going to be doing for the next three months will carry us as a congregation through the New Testament. So if you stick with this schedule and read about three chapters a day um, in the New Testament, you're going to be done with the New Testament by the first Sunday in January. Uh, each Saturday, if you see at the bottom, there's a catch-up day. So if you get behind in your reading, you know we, we kind of like to provide grace, right? We're a church. Um, so there's, there's a grace day. You can catch up and, uh, and stay on track. There's also prayer points that are um, we think are going to try to be consistent with what we're praying for as a congregation. So Britain just prayed and, uh, and brought several uh, items, both congregation-wide, community-wide, before the throne of grace. We're going to continue to do that during the week. But um, if you're in a Bible reading program or schedule that includes the Old Testament, you've probably been through the book of Malachi before, but my guess is you haven't paid a whole lot of attention to it, because I didn't, I don't know. Um, what is it about? Well, let me, let me explain why we're doing this, because Malachi has a lot to say, more than I was expecting, it has a lot to say to our circumstances. Listen, if you've ever wondered, sort of suspected, and I know this is really random and off the wall, and I know I'm just really fishing here, but have you ever wondered if God really does love you? I mean, come on, we, we wonder that weekly, if not daily. And I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about, oh, well, you know, do you believe intellectually in the love of God for Christians? I, you know, it would take a lot uh, to move a, a Christian off of that dime, you know, to say, no, God doesn't love his people. Things would be really hard in that person's life, let me tell you. But I'm just asking, not simply do you, do, you, do you believe it, but do you experience it? You feel it. You have a sense of his love for you. And that's exactly what Malachi is, is straight out of the chute, first shot out of the cannon. I have loved you, declares the Lord. That's the first thing that Malachi is going to teach us. Let me ask you this. Do you ever come uh, on Sunday mornings... And, you know, you, we, we've got great music here. I mean, John does a great job. We, we try to organize the worship service so that it's consistent and fluid and it kind of reinforces a central theme. And, you know, and the, the people here are nice and stuff. But do you ever just leave going, oh, 
you know. I just felt like I was just going through the motions. Do you ever have not just one Sunday like that, but several Sundays like that? Do you ever just have not just several Sundays like that, but several months like that, where you're just bored with God? Just in a rut. I just, I can't see any glory. I can't experience anything supernatural. Nothing is clicking. No dots are being connected for me spiritually. And you're just going through the motions. Hey, listen, God bless you. God bless you for putting the shade down. God bless you for going through the motions. Because, honestly, going through the motions, uh, God's going to reward that. He's going to bless that. But it just feels so dry and empty. And, God, and, and Malachi addresses that. Here's another one. Do you, ever, um, do you ever read the paper? Do you ever watch the news? Do you ever go online? And you just see story after story after story after story of good people getting taken advantage of and cut down and wicked people seeming to get away with murder, literally getting away with murder. Um, do you ever see the wicked prospering? You go, well, God, what is up with this? Where is justice? Where is... Where is um, fairness? Um, where, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the righteous suffer? And, and so on. If you've ever wondered that question, Malachi is going to deal with that. Here's another question. Do you ever wonder, like we just took up tithes and offerings. Do you ever wonder where all that money goes? Do you ever go, yeah, I know. I know, I know all about the church. And I know all about those Christians and what they do with that money. It's going toward Essence Hot Tub. Right? Um. Hey, listen, uh, praise God for your deacons and uh, your treasurers, uh, for Susan and uh, for those who really do handle our finances because they are very, very scrupulous and those T's get crossed and those dies get on it. Uh, those, those <laughs> That's why I'm not the treasurer. Because, uh, but listen, there's certainly, certainly enough excuses in uh, Christendom to, to at least be suspicious, you know, I'm going to write this check, or I'm going to, you know, put this money in the thing, but I don't know, you know. Uh, and, and these Christians, they just seem like they just can't stop talking about money, et cetera. And, uh, and furthermore, does it, does it matter? Does God care? Does God care about our sacrifices? Does he care about what we give to him? And is there any, well, I mean, is there any compensation? Is it worth it? Uh, does it matter? And, and these are the kinds of things that, that Malachi is ultimately wrestling with. And here's, at the end of the day, here's, how, here's, here's the big question. Um, we've been waiting a while. We've been waiting a long, long while for Jesus to return and to set up his kingdom and to make the crooked things straight and to reverse the curse and to bring a day when there's going to be no more curse, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. None of that. How much longer do we have to wait? In Christian life is, let's face it, there's a lot of waiting. And the prophet Malachi is talking to a people that have been waiting a long time, a long time. And they're going to wait 400 more years before Jesus would come. So uh, that's why we're going to study Malachi. I think it's got a lot to say to, to saints who are tired of waiting, who are wondering, you know, what is, what is going on with, you know, my faithfulness, with God's character, etc. And I think it's going to help us 
in, in a number of ways. So let's stand in honor of God's word. I want to read just verses 1 and the first half of verse 2 for starters. Uh, and, uh, and this is God's word. An oracle. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Father, we pray that you would show us uh, the height, the depth, the length, the width of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. All right, uh, we're just going to do um, an overview here, and I want to begin with, um, with these words of God uh, to his people where he says, I've loved you, and, um, and there's a lot that's loaded into this into this statement. Uh, it's as pregnant as Alison Blanco, uh, who just left because she's pregnant. Um, I don't think she's having her child, though. She... Good. All right. um, it is loaded. It, 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 there's so much packed into those words. Um, let's, let me begin by talking about how that's a covenantal expression. When God says that I've loved you, he's not just talking about those um, real feelings. I mean, compassion, and care and sympathy, those, that's not imaginings of us, you know, applying our uh, human things onto, onto the, the deity. Um, we're made in God's image. And he really feels those things. Um, he loves us. But he doesn't just feel. Um, it's, a, it's a covenantal relationship, which in the words of, of John Frame, who's a, a contemporary theologian, he teaches down at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, And he writes this in his book, Salvation Belongs to the Lord. He says that God's love is allegiance, it's affection, and it's action. And corresponding to his authority, presence, and control, respectively. So he's going to break that down. He says allegiance means loyalty and faithfulness to one's word. And affection is emotional fondness. And action represents the good things we do for people we love. And God's love has these elements. Our love for him and for one another should reflect this. Um, So in a very unique way, of all the Old Testament books and the prophets and even the New Testament, Malachi just comes right out of the chute saying, God has loved you. and, in fact, puts it in the first person where God is speaking directly, saying, I have loved you. Um, what that means is that if it's covenantal, it means that it's unconditional. And it means that it's always existed. Um, the prophet Jeremiah spoke before Malachi, and, uh, and he said basically the same thing. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with loving kindness. And that covenantal, unconditional love is a way of God saying, I have always loved you in the past, I love you in the present, and I will continue to love you in the future. If you remember um, anything from Malachi, if if Malachi is familiar to you at all, there's a few verses that you probably remember. It's something about God saying, I hate divorce. Uh, He talks about throwing open the floodgates and blessing us. And he talks about how I, the Lord, do not change. And he doesn't change with regard to his love. He says, I've always loved you. I've always loved you in the past. I love you right now. And then you can even go to the book of Revelation, which you know, sort of gives us a picture of the future. 
And he says it again to the church in Philadelphia, this tiny little church. They're insignificant in terms of, you know, the, the church at large. But God says, I am going to have those who oppose you come and bow at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. God is jealous that the world know how much he loves his people. Do you know that he has that kind of affection for you? He loves you. And he's telling us that through the prophet Malachi. Now, it's not just a covenantal relationship. It's a transformational relationship of love. Uh, and what I want to cover here, which is also going to um, impact our entire you know, review of Malachi, is a question that I think you all know the answer to. It's a question that if you were to ask uh, sort of that, that random person on the street, hey, what's your, what's your biggest grievance with the church? What's your number one beef you know, with Christians? And what do they all say? What do they say? Hypocrites, right? Exactly. The church is full of hypocrites. I can't stand those people. They're always saying they believe one thing and then they're doing something else. Um, and, you know, frankly, it's true. It's true. I say that I believe in Jesus and that I want to be his disciple and I want to love the way that he loved. And how successful am I going to be at loving the way Jesus loved? Not too successful. I'm a hypocrite. But here's, the, here's what I want us to grasp and, and here's what I want to carry through the book of Malachi. All of us are hypocrites because we're all sinners. We're all inconsistent with our aspirations, the things we say we believe in, the things that we say we value, the things that we say are our priorities. And then we go and we do stuff, and we say stuff, and we even think stuff that's just totally 180 degrees opposed to the things that we just got done saying, these are my values and my priorities and the things I'm going to be committed to. And we, and we don't live lives that are consistent with that. That's hypocrisy. But I'm here to tell you and, and, and hopefully relieve a little bit of our burden. Do you know that every single person on this planet is a hypocrite? Because we're all human beings. And we're all fallen human beings. And we're, we all fall short. We're all inconsistent in terms of our goals and our values and the things that we say that we, we hold dear. And then we do things that, that basically totally defy what we hold dear. That's just who we are as fallen human beings. And so here's another way of looking at the whole hypocrisy issue. There's two kinds of hypocrites in the world. There are hypocrites who are trying to repent of their hypocrisy and trying to live lives that are more and more consistent with what they hold dear. And then there are those that just are, are defiant regarding their hypocrisy. I'm not a hypocrite. Everybody else is a hypocrite, which is a hypocritical thing to say in the first place. Um... We're all hypocrites. What kind of hypocrite are you? I'm trying to be a repenting hypocrite. And there's times when I need to repent of not being a repenting hypocrite. I'm a mess. We're all a mess. And Jesus is loving us. And he's loving the hypocrites. And he's loving the hypocrites through Malachi because it's a transformational love. There's no other way to be transformed than to receive the love of God for hypocrites. He comes and he says, I love you the way you are. I love you in your brokenness. I love you in your addiction. I love you in your lust. I love you in your um, obsessiveness. I love you in your uh, um, workaholism. I love you in your overeating. I love you in um, your, uh, uh, all the ways that you're being greedy and uh, prejudiced and, and all that. I'm, I'm still loving you. And I'm calling you to change. 
I'm calling you to be transformed by love. That's the only way that we're going to be changed, is to receive God's love. If we really believe, if we're not just giving lip service to the love of God, but if we're experiencing it, do you know what that love's going to do? It's going to make you and me less of a hypocrite. Because I'm going to become more compassionate the way that God has been compassionate toward me. I'm going to become more tender the way Jesus has been tender toward me. I'm going to become less angry. I'm going to become less irritable. I'm going to become less impatient because of Jesus' patience and love despite, you know, the things that I do wrong. And that love transforms us. And it makes us, well, hopefully a little less of a hypocrite. It doesn't cure our hypocrisy. The only cure for that is glorification. The only cure for that is the return of Jesus. But here's what the Christian life looks like. I lay hold of the love of Jesus for me more and more, and I drill deeper and deeper and deeper into that in my discipleship and in your discipleship. And then we start living little by little. Sometimes we get these leaps ahead. But the the average growth in Christ as a Christian are baby steps, some two steps forward, one step back. And we slowly but surely become less and less hypocritical, more and more consistent, authentic Christians. And some people are starting from way down here, you know, starting with Christ, like like I did. I mean, shoot, I didn't know I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know anything about uh, Christianity when I started as an 18-year-old Christian. And some people are have been in church all their lives, and know the Bible inside and out, have Malachi memorized. Can you imagine? And then they, and then the, the 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 gospel dots get connected. Oh. Oh. You mean it's not about my behavior? It's about Christ's behavior for me. His faithfulness for me? His laying down his life for me to forgive my sins? That's what the gospel is. And then the lights go on. And even though they've been in their church all their lives, and they, they're starting from a pretty good place, and they're still going to grow in their, in their love, understanding of God's love for them. So a Christian can start down here and still you know, be growing in Christ, but their life is going to look a little sketchy, right? But they're still growing in grace. And somebody's going to start up here, and their life's going to look pretty, pretty together they're still starting you know, with the love of God for them in the first place as well. And they're realizing it's not based on my behavior. It's based on Jesus. It's based on his love for me. And the greatest expression of that love, when Jesus says, I have loved you, do you know where he proves that beyond a shadow of a doubt? At the cross. If you want to know the shape of love, it's, it's not this. It's not this. It's this. It's It's that. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But whoever believes in him, a a sinner or a saint, you know, in the world's eyes, will become a new creation, loved by love and transformed so that they become more and more consistent with this profession of faith. And we become less and less hypocrites. And we love because he first loved us, according to 1 John 4. All right, so it's a transformational relationship. It's a covenantal relationship. And lastly, it's a safe relationship as we think about this love. Because there's, um, as we mentioned, there's two kinds of hypocrites, the defiant ones and and the repenting ones. And the only way you and I are going to become more and more of that second category, the repenting hypocrites, is if we feel safe to expose our stuff. Is it safe to say, Yes. Um, yeah, I need help. Yeah, I'm, I, I sinned, and I'm sorry. Is it safe to do that? 
God says it's safe. In, in his presence, there's safety. There's safety to come and to confess. Listen to you know, that verse in 1 John 4 where he says, we love because he first loved us. This is a couple of verses before that where it says, there's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is, uh, is not made perfect in love, but we love because he first loved us. And what that removal of condemnation and fear does because of the gospel, because Jesus took that punishment for us, removed the sentence and the fear and the condemnation away from us, we can come into God's presence and say, Lord, I did it again, and I'm sorry. Please continue to transform me. Remind me of what I've forgotten, the reality of your love. And if we're walking in Christ's love, we're going to sin less. We're not going to become totally sinless, but we will sin less. And then when we get to glory, we're going to be transformed, and we're going to realize, gosh, I was an idiot every time I forgot about the love of Jesus. Because we're going to spend eternity not getting over the magnitude of that love. And we're going to look back on our earthly existence and say, it took me a nanosecond at times to forget the height, the width, the depth, and the length of the love of God for us. What was I thinking? What was wrong with me? But God's love is safe. And it invites us in. And it says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to um, rub your nose in it. I am going to love you. I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to remind you of Jesus' love for you. So that's how you and I can become repenting hypocrites. Because we're not trying to get our identity and our, our rightness and our approval and um, you know, puff ourselves up by keeping some false record, by having everybody imagine that, well, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. It's your problem. If you've got a problem, it's you. You're the issue, not me, etc. Um, yeah, there's stuff that we're contributing all the time to all these issues, and we have to own that. We have to confess it. We have to say, listen, here's what I'm bringing to the table. Please forgive me. And that's how we can be free to do that. You know, God's always going to forgive us. He proved that at the cross. And then we're able to go and we're able to look at the way that the, the word of the Lord transforms us by being a blueprint for belief. You know, if we believe that God loves us, you and I are going to be more and more transformed. God doesn't just um, use Malachi to tell us second-hand information about him. I, I think it's really great in this, in this first verse how God speaks to us. Do you remember being in, in middle school? Uh, and some of you are in middle school. And if you're, if you're in middle school, you know what I'm talking about because you know the notes that get passed up the aisle um, in your classroom. You know the notes that get passed up the seats uh, in the cheese wagon, uh, the bus. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Um, you know the whisperings at lunch, uh, and it goes like this, right? So-and-so likes you. So-and-so has a crush on you. you know? and, um, but it's never, right? It's never the person who really likes you or who really has a crush on you. You always hear about it secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand. So-and-so told me that so-and-so said that this person said that this person has a crush on you, um, and it just... You never really know what's reality. But in God's case, he comes to us in the first person. And he says, I've loved you. He's not just speaking to a a congregation and a community 2,400 years ago. He's talking to us 
And his Holy Spirit is speaking to us through his word. And God himself is saying to his church, to Tabernacle, to you, I have loved you. And do you believe that? And if you believe that, that's going to become a blueprint. That's going to become a foundational sketch for how you view life and reality. Does God love you or not? And if you're looking through your life through that grid, that's going to transform how you view your circumstances. Because most of us are instead doing this. I'm looking at God through the lens and the grid of my circumstances. And if my circumstances are bad, then God must not love me. And if my circumstances are good, hey, God must think I'm his favorite. And God wants us to totally reverse that. And to look at our circumstances through the lens of his love. And he's telling us, and he's not stuttering, I have loved you. And that's our blueprint for belief. Uh, He does it through this uh, thing called an oracle is how Malachi begins. Uh, and there's going to be actually six oracles. And these oracles are unique. They have this uh, interesting pattern in Malachi, which is like a catechism. And a catechism is a question and answer learning tool that sometimes we use in our worship uh, through the Westminster Shorter Catechism and Larger Catechism, where you ask a question and there's an answer. And that's what's going to happen uh, over and over and over again in Malachi. And the first question is, God, how have you loved us? You know, God's saying, I have loved you. And God's people are so in the weeds at this point in their existence that they're going, no, you haven't. Prove it. How have you loved us? Look at my circumstances. You call this loving? You know, and they're, they're bowed up and they're defiant. And God's going to say, well, yeah, in fact, and then here's the proof. We're going to look at that next week. And it just keeps doing that um, six times in the book of Malachi, dealing with their lack of a blueprint. Because if you believe the wrong things about God, that's going to affect how you live your life. If you believe the right things about God, you're going to live lives that are more and more consistent with the kingdom. We're going to become less and less hypocritical, hopefully less, uh, less, um, you know, uh, um, I don't know, uh, ugly or intolerant, etc. All the, the the things, the stereotypes that people have of Christians. And wouldn't it be awesome if people at Tabernacle and other congregations in our community around the world, the more and more we get transformed by the love of God. People started saying, wow, those Christians are incredibly loving. What if that was our reputation instead of hypocrites? Or what if our reputation became, well, they're hypocrites, but at least I know they're repentant hypocrites. <laughs> I mean, that would be a great reputation because that invites them in, into the love of God. Um, hey, just lastly, let's talk about Malachi. Uh, why, again, kind of getting back to why we're doing Malachi. Uh, some information about this book. It was written about 450 years before Jesus came. And, uh, and it was written at a time when uh, God's people were really wrestling. Wrestling with the same things that we wrestle with. You know, we talked about God's love. They're wondering, does God love us? Look, we're in this awful circumstance. Um, God had been, uh, well, he was trying to get their attention. And uh, the Assyrians came and they exiled the, the northern kingdom of Israel. The Babylonians came, got rid of the rest of the Israelites who were in the southern kingdom. And then um, the Persians came, yay, Persians, and they restore them. Uh, they can go back to their homeland, to Israel. And they start rebuilding, but it's just, uh, it's just nothing like what the good old days were. You know? And those who can remember are thinking about David's glory, and they're thinking about Solomon's glory, and they're thinking about big temples and all that. And all that's there, it just feels like, a, like Israel and, and, uh, and Jerusalem are just, it's just a dump. Um, so everybody's wondering, how can God love us? And they're wondering, does it make any sense to serve God anymore? Does it matter? And they're tired and they're worn out and they're, they're skeptical and they're confused and they're saying it doesn't pay to 
offer sacrifices to God and doesn't pay to pay attention to, our, to being faithful in our relationships because God isn't faithful to us. And they're thinking all the wrong things about who God is. And we're going to look at those things and we're going to see how they apply to us. So God's speaking through Malachi. And he's talking directly to us. And he's dealing with our, our inconsistencies and he's wooing us in, back into the love of God for us. As we do this, what I want us to pay attention to is how you and I can stop looking at our lives through the lens of the circumstance and, and seeing God in that view, but instead looking at our circumstances to how God is viewing us. You and I do a lot of waiting. We spend our lives waiting for the next thing, and it began very early. Um, when we were in school, we couldn't wait to finish school so that we could get on with our, uh, our, our lives and become adults, get out of the house, and so on. And then, you know, you finish school, and you can't wait uh, to start your career or, uh, you know, Give me a good job. I want, a, I want a good job. And then you end up in a dead-end job because you need something to pay the bills and you can't find that sweet job. And you just wait and wait and wait. And then maybe you want a relationship. Lord, I want, uh, I, I want to you know, get married. And when are you going to provide that, that great spouse? And, and then maybe you do get married. And then you're trying to figure out, when are we going to start our family? And so you wait for kids. And some people really wrestle because they wrestle with infertility and they wait and wait and wait. Um, and then, you know, difficult things happen. Trials come, and you wait for resolution to those trials. Maybe they're relationships that are in conflict. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's illness or injury, and you wait for you know, restoration of the relationship, or you wait for healing, or you wait for some kind of you know, fix to what's wrong. And, and we just wait, and we wait, and we wait. And if that's how we live our Christian lives, we're missing what God is trying to inject into our lives. Life is what happens while we're waiting to live our lives. And God is trying to say to, the, to God's people in Malachi and to us, make me the source of your life. Stop feeling like life's what happens when you get to that milestone. If you get there, great. Give thanks, praise him. But we are fulfilled along the way. One of the commentators I was reading, I want to read to you uh, what she said. Malachi's prophecy is particularly relevant to the many waiting periods in human history and in the lives of individuals. He enables us to see the strains and temptations of such times, the imperceptible abrasion of faith that ends in cynicism because it has lost touch with the living God. That imperceptible abrasion of faith that makes us doubt God's character. Because we keep waiting and we keep feeling unfulfilled, like, God, when are you going to deliver? And we forget He's already delivered. He's delivered a Savior. He's delivered His Son who's loved us with a perfect love. Uh, Rachel, our oldest daughter, uh, who's a freshman at William and Mary, she uh, sent me this link about. Uh, a, a blog from a woman who was talking about the the purity rings, you know, that um, sometimes Christian families will give to their, their children, uh, their, their daughters in particular. So Kathy and I gave Rachel a purity ring, Sarah got a purity ring, Michael got a purity watch. <laughs> so, <laughs> and Lydia's going to get hers, you know. I think they're great. I think they're, they're a terrific reminder. You know, you're loved, you're precious, you're, you're um, you know, you're dear to us, and, you know, you don't have to go looking in the wrong places for that love. But it can, and this blog was pointing out, it, it can send the wrong message. If we're not careful, if we don't remind um, our children of what we're 
actually trying to communicate could send the wrong message in how some of those purity rings are inscribed with three words, um, true love waits. You know, the idea is you're supposed to wait to get married before you have sex. And it, pre- and it instills this expectation that, well, hey, if I'm faithful to my end of the bargain to remain celibate and, you know, pure until I get married, you know, then God's going to give me this, this great guy, this great spouse, you know, um, whether you're a boy or girl. Well, God doesn't call everybody to get married. And sometimes God asks you to wait a really, really long time. And it creates this expectation that, hey, if I, do, if I uphold my end of the bargain, that obliges God to something. And he just becomes the celestial Santa Claus. And what this one uh, writer was saying was that, you know what, that, that kind of missed the mark for me because true love didn't have to wait. I already have true love. I already have it through Jesus. I don't have to wait for, for, for love to enter my life. I mean, yeah, I'm going to trust God with whoever he may call me to have as a spouse in the future, but, but that doesn't mean I just sit here and pine. It doesn't mean that I sit here unfulfilled as I wait for the next thing, whatever that next thing is for you or for me. Israel didn't have to wait for the next thing. They didn't have to just pine away as they waited for a bigger temple or better crops or better spouses or more pow and wow and zip in their worship, or for the Savior who would come 450 years later. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I hope it's soon. But it doesn't mean I have to just pine away in the meantime. I have his love, and you have his love. And life is what happens when we're waiting for life to happen. That life, that time in between those goals, can be filled with the love of Jesus for us. Let's pray. Jesus, please help us to, to recognize the ways that you're loving us, um, Lord, to, to rejoice in that, to find life through that, to be convinced, uh, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, that you have loved us. Uh, Jesus, I pray that you would use uh, this last Old Testament prophet uh, to invade our unbelief, uh, to expose our inconsistencies, to invite us into a repentance that is safe, that is loving, that accepts us on the merits of Jesus and his death on the cross so that we could be forgiven. Lord, I pray that if um, there are those here this morning who are still trying to understand what that's all about, how that applies to them, how they can get in on that kind of love, Lord, would you um, open the eyes of their hearts to, pre- to see Jesus clearly Lord, and help them to call on him and trust in him completely. Uh, Lord, there's lots of us in this room today who I think have done that in the past and we just we lose sight of what it means to rely on Jesus and we default to our own behavior and we get down on ourselves and we kick ourselves for how we fall short and how we're hypocrites. And I pray instead that you would restore us, that you would fill us with the, the reality of your love and you would change us and transform us because of the way that your love drives out our fear. And um, make us more consistent members of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.